Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Long Shot Podcast, brought to you by 342 Productions, as always. And I'm your host, Duncan Robinson, here with Davis Reed uh, in Miami. Davis, how we doing? Still here, man. I'm great. Davis, Davis is still here. Uh, I took an extended weekend trip to Boston. Uh, Davis stayed down here in the Sunshine State, uh, held it down, and uh, yeah, went back into uh, enemy territory in some respects. Also, you know, kind of generally where I'm from, so uh, some friendly faces up there as well. But uh, it was a successful trip, I would say. I enjoyed my time down here, just kind of holding the fort down. But yeah, you guys, I would say, probably had a better couple of days than I did. And I had a good couple of days. Well, I think we're all in this together in some respects. Yeah. So I think I yeah. think we all had a good uh, a good little stretch. But yeah, we uh, we went up there. We played Sunday and Tuesday. Um, for myself, somewhat selfishly, uh, it was a fantastic trip because we had a day game Sunday, which is pretty unique. And what was particularly unique is we stayed over, obviously, because we also played Tuesday and I got to spend Mother's Day with my beloved mother. Nothing more you can ask for. Yeah, especially after a win uh, in a you know the city that I kind of grew up in uh, or around, I should say. But yeah, you know, got to got to uh, have a nice little family uh, gathering uh, outside, socially distanced, of course. But uh, it was it was enjoyable nonetheless. I've noticed a couple things. One, like we were at breakfast this morning and someone says they're from Boston. You're like, oh, I'm also from Boston, which is not true. But yeah, you do kind of claim that city. So I'm sure it's nice to always be back. Well, I think it's important to mention it's not like the Midwest where you're from. It's not like Florida. All the states up there in New England, they're all kind of jumbled together. Where I, I grew up in New Hampshire, uh, for some reason, people kind of get it lost. They think I'm from Maine. I, I was born in Maine, but grew up in New Hampshire. Where I'm from in New Hampshire is a unique area. So this is a little geography lesson for all of you oh, <laughs> at home. Great. New Hampshire has about 12 miles of coastline, okay, tucked right there in between southern Maine and kind of like North Shore, Massachusetts. Okay. There's 12 miles of coastline. I grew up in that area. So it's uniquely positioned to where I am legitimately 10 minutes from Maine. I am 15 minutes, 20 minutes from Massachusetts, about 45 minutes from Boston. So growing up in New Hampshire, I played a lot of my basketball based out of Boston. You know, AAU was out of Boston. A lot of the camps were out of Boston. There are a lot of colleges in Boston, you know, that I would go down and, and visit or play pickup at, whatever. So naturally, when I would move outside of New England, it became, oh, where are you from? It became easier to identify, oh, I'm from Boston. Because people here in New Hampshire, I mean, honestly, I don't know what they think. I think probably a combination of fields and Cows? I don't know. Really? I think I get the cows more for Kansas. I don't know if cows, if I associate cows with New Hampshire. Well, maybe but- just like, maybe White Mountains. I don't know. <laughs> like some, some, some like, like, it's basically a kind of extended suburb of Boston sure. is, is okay, how fine. I've kind of always identified it. Um, and like I said, I just always found it easier whenever I would be you know, in the Midwest or down here in Florida where people don't really know, you know, it gets tricky up there. I'm trying to let people off the hook in some respects. You know, if I give them the general area of Boston, it's easier to kind of wrap your minds around that. Um, This is now a a geographical tangent, but I think it's important. I think it needed to be said. I agree. Because I I get a lot of shit, honestly, because I say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm from Boston. And then I'm like, well, I'm actually from New Hampshire. And people are always like, all right, well, where are you actually from, guy? Like, what, what's going on here? You're trying to claim all these different places. No, it's actually, I'm just trying to make it a little bit easier for you. Hardly it's, home, but always repping. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, fine. Fair enough. Well, so you're in your, we'll just call it your home city just for ease. Yeah, home air. I mean, at least from from this standpoint, the closest city to identify with from like a professional sports standpoint yeah. was certainly Boston. Yeah, right. You know, right. that's why they're called the New England Patriots. They're not called the Boston. Well, they were once upon a time called the Boston Patriots. Uh, but anyways, it was it was great for me. Like I said, I grew up in the area. It was my first time winning in the Boston Garden, TD Garden, whatever they call it these days. Um, so a little bit 
you know, a little bit more emotion, uh, some nostalgia tied in with some memories and, you know, all that good stuff. Your first win in the garden? It was my first, yeah. Really? I mean, I, we've beaten the Celtics before. Right, um, in a playoff series. As, yeah, someone maybe remember. But that was actually played, if, if you weren't aware, that was at a neutral site uh, in Orlando. No way. In the bubble, yeah. What? Um, so it was my first time winning uh, at home in front of my family. Had a nice moment. I, I gave my brother uh, my jersey after the wow. game, which was kind of cool. Kind of felt like the man, like went up in the stands. Yeah, no, First time ever doing squad. that. Uh, had never given away a jersey. Um, but that one, you know, that one felt right. Did you get a photo op? We didn't get a photo op. Oh, come on. That's the um, whole point of the jersey swap. Yeah, you know, if anyone's out there that happened to take a picture of that moment and <laughs> uh, wants to send it in, it would, it would be appreciated because uh, it was a fun one. But, uh, but yeah, it was, so we'll try to get back on the rails here. Yeah. It was a great weekend or week for you guys, uh, clinch a playoff spot. So no more playing game for the Miami heat. Not something you need to worry about. Yeah. Which is interesting. I I actually want to unpack this a little bit. Let's do it. It's interesting how your perspective of the playoff play in <laughs> changes yeah. when you realize you are no longer going to be a part of it. I believe that. Uh, and I want to on record acknowledge how fair weather this sounds but of course i mean there's been pretty public pushback from players on the plan and we were actually talking about this prior to recording this and there are some parts of it that i think need some working i think that in some cases it just doesn't really make sense but from a fan perspective, from an engagement perspective, from a the perspective of making these games interesting, um, it's kind of serving its purpose. I think so. I mean, yeah. it's totally adding a different dynamic to the playoff picture, um, which I think, let alone, you know, whether you want to say it's it's good or bad, it's certainly adding more coverage um, and just like creating some different storylines. Yeah. I, well, I think from a fan's perspective, it's been awesome. Like I watched the Lakers Knicks game last night. Yeah. And it's just, it, it's a playoff game now because there are so many implications for those two teams, but also for you guys. Right? Like everyone's so invested in these last three, four games that it's awesome from a fan's perspective. I think the one issue that you come across is just the discrepancy between, like we were talking about this at breakfast, a seven seed who might be eight games or six games or whatever ahead of a 10 seed. There's a world where the seven seed misses the playoffs and the 10 seed makes it. So it's almost like it feels like there should maybe be some sort of caveat of like you have to be within a certain amount of games. That's the only potential issue I see. But from a fan perspective, it's so entertaining. At least it has been. It sounds like you should write a formal formal letter to Adam Silver. Maybe I'll do that, yeah. yeah it seems like it's you have a pretty like, convincing argument. It's there. almost like you have to be within a certain amount of games, right? So it's like if the nine seed is five games ahead of the 10 seed, yeah. like you don't deserve to play. In yeah, there's a, there should seed. be a cutoff there. Yeah. Now, with that being said, from an entertainment standpoint, we'll just use the West, for example, the opportunity for Steph and LeBron to be going head-to-head in a playing situation for a chance at the seven seed. I mean, that's as close to must see TV as I think you can get for sure. Like one, like win and you're in situation, not to mention if you lose, then all of a sudden you're on the brink of missing the playoffs entirely. And I think that's where, where your point is coming in of, okay, if, if you've earned quote unquote earned the seven seed and then all of a sudden you know, you're the Lakers and Steph goes for 60 in some crazy performance. And then now you're on the brink of missing the playoffs altogether to a team that it might be below 500 that I, I totally see the pushback there of like, that's kind of bullshit. Also just a giant caveat that you're so biased. Oh yeah. Now that you're out of the plane. Oh, for sure. I mean, I was like totally on the bandwagon (laughs) of like, this is garbage. This is whatever. But like, now that we've right. kind of, like once again, I I fully openly acknowledge uh, my my biases. Um, you know how fair weather I may sound, but yeah, I mean I, I'm not going to shy away from it, which is good. I mean I think I appreciate that. Just as your podcast co-host, I appreciate you not shying away. From 
moment. I want to actually, I want to get back to the Boston sweep. I, again, had no idea that this was your first win in Boston. But well, you got, I got two of them. You got two of them. Yeah. And I, I wanted to ask you, is there a little, there's got to be, we just talked about how it's your home city. There's got to be a little extra motivation for you back there. You looked, I, I, I got to, this podcast is just us complimenting each other. But I got to say, I, I thought last night particularly, so the second game of that series, was maybe your best game of the year. Wow. Not maybe not statistically. Like if you look at the box score, that it doesn't tell the whole story. Interesting. But you looked so confident, you looked so aggressive in that third quarter, Jimmy went out at halftime, didn't come back and start the third quarter. So I think there were some a kind of a collective gasp from Heat fans of like, "Oh no, this is a must win and Jimmy's sure. gone." And you sort of took over that third quarter. Maybe I'm giving you too much credit, but you had 13 Probably in the a little quarter. Too much. You were doing it in a variety of ways. You got to the line. You were you drove, had some assists. Like I, I love how a variety of ways means one two point field goal. No, no, no. You got to the line. You were you. There was a drive and kick to Bam. Like typically, if you're having a good game, a lot of the time that means means you're shooting it well. But it was yeah. more than that. I thought it was your, one of your best games defensively. So I don't know. I just it was fun to watch. Appreciate that. I, I don't know I don't know how much of that is you being back in Boston. Yeah. Or just things kind of coming together. I think I think it's a combination of things. Obviously, you know, that was a huge game for us. We we knew the implications coming in of that if we're able to get that one, then we clinch, um, avoid the play in, which is something that, that we had talked about. There's also the aspect and component of being back in Boston. You know, had a lot of people at the game, um, which of course always adds, you know, whether you want to admit it or not, I think there's definitely a psychological um, or subconscious, you know, just kind of boost you get um, from being in that setting. And like I said, I mean, I grew up watching the Celtics. Um, so every opportunity that I get to to play those guys is, is kind of surreal, um, particularly in their building, uh, just because, you know, I remember going to a couple Celtics games when I was younger. I think actually we went to a Celtics game. We did. Um, yeah. At one point. So, yeah, for sure. There, there's definitely that that uh, component to it as well. But, uh, you know, the other side of it too is like you said, you know, Jimmy goes down. The thing that I was I was particularly proud of of our group is, you know, there, it's no surprise that, that we're a Jimmy and Bam-centric team. You know, a lot of our offense runs through them. Obviously, a lot of our defense is – based off of their versatility and their ability to do different things. The thing that I was proud of was that it was just a group of us kind of rallying around an opportunity and rising to the occasion. I think you saw Bam get super aggressive um, and and just kind of command the ball, play make, attack the rim, put pressure on the rim. You saw Tyler, uh, who had played great in the first half, but I thought just really elevated um, his play and kind of commanded the game in, in the second and hit a variety of huge shots and kind of kept us afloat there for a little while. Goran hit a couple massive threes um, right in that stretch. You know, NBA games are are finicky in that and they're fragile in that, you know, you get you get it to 14 or 17 you know, a 6-0 run either way, like totally changes the game. And they had a couple stretches where it looked like they were going to go on a run in that early fourth quarter. And Goran hit, I think, three huge, crazy ones, bombs, you know, tightly contested. And, you know, it just kind of cuts into their run and keeps that lead at 14, 15, um, and and away from like getting down into single digits. So, I think it was a variety of guys really stepping up. Kendrick is like always just kind of the unsung hero, yep. um, making timely plays, big plays. Uh, Trevor, exactly that as well. Um, the way the, what he does for us is like just super underappreciated, I think, in my opinion. Um, you know, just guards and just plays with such an IQ um, and, and just kind of has that like veteran savvy, like knows how to win um, and just doesn't get rattled. Andre is like more of the same. You know, we we say this internally, but Andre legitimately might be the easiest guy to play with in the NBA. Like well, the way the way he, you know, defensively, he's always going to be in the right spots, helping guys. Um, offensively, he's so unselfish. He sees plays before they happen. I mean, he'll have, and they're, it's they're not always assists, but like just these last two games, there are like four or five examples of 
him catching the ball in like a short roll situation. Um, you know, for so to kind of explain it, to go on the ball, Andre gets like a, a a pocket bounce pass, and then he's playing with an advantage on the backside. Those are are challenging plays because they happen really fast. And if you miss that moment of a guy being open and the defense scrambles, your advantage can kind of be lost. Andre has this ridiculous ability to read everything quickly, but never be in a rush. So he he almost like manipulates and predicts how the defense is going to like pre-rotate and always finds that open man. Um, and once again, that, those are like those little plays that they don't always end up being assists or they don't always end up being threes. But it's just as a player, when you're open and somebody like finds you when it's like kind of a, a difficult situation to do it, it's very, it keeps you in rhythm. It's like a rewarding feeling to like, okay, I was open and I got the ball. Um, those little little stuff like that go a long way. So I totally took this question and just ran all these different directions. I love it. But uh, it's, a, it's a combination, I think, you know, it's particularly the continuity we've kind of developed on offense of a variety of, of pieces and players kind of coming together. Yeah, I, well, first of all, Andre, he made a living on that in Golden State. Exactly. Yeah. Like that's what he did. Yeah. Because you had to do something with Steph on those pick and rolls, and yeah. then Andre or Draymond or somebody has all. Yes. Um, but no, I, for the record, I love you going on tangents. You can keep doing that. Uh, another question about the Boston series: What's your kind of like team approach going into that game? Like, what's that huddle look like? I know D Wade asked Bam this in the post game interview last night. But I do that. It's just it goes back to the playing games, right? Like these last few games of the season are always important because they have seeding implications. But yeah. it felt like this one had a little extra because it was okay. If we win, we're out of the play-in. Are you guys now that you've had playoff experience? Is that game last night a playoff atmosphere, a playoff game? I mean, it definitely had a playoff feel um, between the the kind of physicality, um, the pace, and and just kind of the magnitude of every possession. I haven't played in like a, a packed arena playoff atmosphere. Obviously, last year was my first time in the playoffs and it was in the bubble. And even yesterday, I think it was they bumped it up to like 25% capacity. So it's not like this raucous right. playoff vibe, but in terms of the actual gameplay, um, absolutely. You know, I, I think that the thing that it, it kind of differentiates itself, at least in what I've experienced. Granted, take it with a grain of salt. I've, I've had one playoff experience. Um, but the magnitude of possessions goes way up. And and we talk about this. There are these like little skirmishes throughout a game. And there might be six or seven of them throughout a game. You know, it's the end of a quarter or the start of a quarter or a pivotal three-minute stretch, you know, in the middle of the third that oftentimes decide the game. And, and you're not going to win all of them, but it really comes down to can you win more than the other team. And, and that... You know, because people say it, it's kind of like cliche, but like the NBA is kind of a game of runs, but it, it is in that teams kind of get it going. And then it's how do you how do you mitigate that? How do you then respond to that? Um, you know, if you build up a lead, teams are really good. You know, it's 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 hard to get a lead and then just hold it throughout right. the entire game. I think you've seen that particularly in these last two that that's that's a real challenge so it becomes a lot of times is how do you manage these little moments and i think in playoff settings it's just magnified more and more and and those little skirmishes um become more and more pivotal so it it had that feeling for sure um and also it's such a unique situation in that you never play before this year you don't play teams twice back to back let alone the team that you're playing twice back to back being the team that you're right there with in right. terms of playoff picture. Right. Um, so once we got the first one, you know, there's kind of been a conversation kind of league wide about how difficult it is to beat a team twice in these types of settings. Um, the majority of those games are split statistically throughout this year. It's, you know, regardless of record and, and what happens in game one. So we knew the second one was going to be really challenging, but we kind of just treated it like a, a playoff prep. Um, and, you know, it's it almost didn't really need to get talked about the magnitude of the game like we all kind of understood you know it is what it is uh but instead the focus just becomes okay how do we really lock in on the details of trying to win um and scheme and game plan and you know like anything it's it's not going to be perfect um because things change throughout the course of a game but it just becomes you know how how can you work to be your your best version makes sense 
you talk about this list of skirmishes. Can we add the uh, Marcus Smart tumble to the list of skirmishes? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a different type of skirmish. Um, yeah, you know, it's 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 funny. I I've been uh, hit up quite a bit about this one. You know, I'll start with this. Marcus plays really hard. I think that I don't I don't think Marcus is like dirty. Um, I think that he plays really hard. He's physical. And I have a lot of respect for him also. I actually don't, I haven't even actually seen the replay. What it felt like was (laughs) that he tripped me up. Once again, I don't think it was like a dirty play, but it was like two people kind of basically fighting for positioning on the wing. Um, And we just kind of got tripped up. What ensued from there was me kind of acknowledging that he tripped me up okay, and kind of putting that in, in plain sight. What does uh, kind of acknowledging entail? I don't It wasn't anything outlandish. I think right. I said like, all right, so that's, that's what we're on. Like, like that's what we're doing. Um, you know, I felt like it was kind of an opportunity for him to kind of like be physical uh, with me in that, in that moment. And, and that's something I've kind of seen, you know, for example, from game one to two in this sense, uh, I think they put Fournier on me in game one. And then right from the start of game two, it was obvious that they were making an adjustment and, and smart guarded me right from the start of game two. And, you know, an adjustment that I've seen a lot this year is exactly that guys getting more physical and trying to, you know, take me out of comfort, whatever. So I felt like that was him kind of taking advantage, which once again, isn't a bad thing. It's, it's a legit, yeah, it's a legitimate strategy. Um, I felt like that moment was kind of an example of, him kind of leaning into that. Um, now I, I just, once again, I wanted to acknowledge that I felt like that. I was like, all right, so, so that's what we're on. So that's what we're doing. Yeah, now, yeah just right? a question. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and he actually, this is where I was surprised. He actually felt like it was my wrongdoing and my fault, which of course I, I disagree with. Um, I mean, you can watch the the footage and, and make a decision for we'll yourself. We'll probably pull it up. Yeah, yeah, we, we can pull it up. Um, once again, I think there's some, like any altercation there's always going to be some gray area sure you know both sides could be argued but actually the the funny thing about it was is like it wasn't like some malicious back and forth cursing at each other like i think he legitimately like wanted to talk to me and i actually legitimately wanted to talk to him too so we were in this weird situation of like the refs and everybody separating us but it was like actually like no like let's talk about it like like what what because i was like dude like what are we on like what was that and he was actually feeling the same type of way towards me, um, which I'm, you know, I'm not raising my hand and saying I'm entirely innocent here either. Uh, but you know, I had an opportunity to get to the line. I knew we were in the bonus. Right, you know, yeah, I got to capitalize. Uh, it was it was an interesting little you know skirmish, uh, altercation, whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, it was also just kind of like a metaphor, maybe I guess Ooh. for the game as a whole of just like, that's what you're going to get in, in those meaningful games. Um, you know, little moments like that. Yeah. So first of all, if you guys haven't seen the clip, it's not that, like you said, it wasn't that serious. Oh no. You're making it yeah, sound like you yeah. guys fought or yeah, something. Like, yeah. Really. No. You just got tangled and fell. And I think in those situations, like he's blaming you and you're blaming him. I think it's kind of like Ty goes to the runner in baseball. You know what I mean? Like if if you're on offense and you get tangled up and knocked down, right. it's probably going to be a foul on the defender. So that's really all it was. And it, it was funny from just from watching on TV. It seemed like you said something like, what are we on? And then he was kind of like, I just want to talk. I just want to talk. The rest holding them back. I just want to talk. So it seemed uh, as friendly as a two guys getting separated can be. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think it was relatively cordial. I, I don't think there was like any malcontent. Um, we've somehow spent the first I don't even know how long we've been going on just the Boston series, which yeah. it was a it was a big series. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's worthy of unpacking. But I'm gonna if it's okay with you, sure. I'm gonna pivot to your favorite part of every podcast, which is acknowledging a record that you're on pace to break. <laughs> All right, what do do we got? So I told you, every time this happens, we're going to address it. I I, I just want to say something before. I actually don't know what this record is, um, but somehow it got back to me that me just acknowledging it and just kind of moving forward helps us push through 
Whereas like when I do kind of like the, uh, I don't want to talk about it, explain the way it actually just drags it yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to work towards more of that. It's just, like, just a little heads up. It's it, like getting sure. complimented. I've been told this before about how to handle a compliment. Like when someone compliments you, you just say thank you. Yeah, you just take on. it and move on, right? If you try yeah. to like downplay it and then it becomes this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to give you a record and then you can just move on. Okay, like. okay. Your feedback has been that you don't like these. So I'm going to go in a slightly different direction this time though. This isn't necessarily a record that we want to celebrate. This is a little different. So I had a couple people send this to me on social media. So shout out to all you guys. You are on pace. There are three games left in the regular season. You are on pace to break your own record set last year for fewest offensive rebounds in an NBA season. (laughs) Wait, that's got to be like relative to minutes. I'm not sure. So last year you had nine offensive rebounds in seventy-two games. So caveat here is there it's a it's a shorter regular season than pre- previous. <laughs> I, mean, I think we, okay, great. <laughs> but you had nine, or excuse me, ten. I think you had ten offensive rebounds last year. Okay. This year you've got six, and there uh-huh. are three games left. So, so I'm trending the wrong way. Unless you're somehow pulling out four or five offensive rebounds in the next three games, which. If you look at the law of averages, that's certainly not going to happen. Yeah. You're going to break your own record for fewest offensive rebounds in NBA history. Wow. That's history. That's special. So look, the same week Russell Westbrook breaks the triple-double record, you're setting <laughs> one of your own. Congratulations. I'd actually, I'd like to comment on that. Okay, now good. That we bring you it can up. acknowledge and move on. Or um, that's up to you. I want to point out that I have a role on our team of oh, sure. being the first one back in transition, which I don't always do entirely. Sometimes I get caught in, in no man's land. But the same way that it's not my job on offense to post up, okay, it's also not my job to crash the offensive glass. You've got to know your role. That's important. Here's a question. So if you, know, you have like the halfback, fullbacks, whatever you want to call it, different coaches use different terminology. It's my job to be like the first line back in transition, which once again, I'm not always I'm not always right on that either. Sometimes I'm in no man's land. Right. But my job is when the shot goes up to get back and yeah. set our transition. Get defense. your rim protector back there. <laughs> so, here's I mean, a, yeah. so here's a question. Do you think that you're given that role because of your lack of offensive rebounding? <laughs> Or is your lack of offensive rebounding a result of the role? Right. Like if I had like Dennis Rodman ability, right, yeah. they wouldn't be sending me back. I think yes. But but my point being is that I could go to the offensive glass every time and get more than six. You sure? I'm, I am certain of that. I, th- I think a funny thing would be would be to look at all six of my offensive rebounds this year <laughs> because I'm pretty sure that all of them are either like long rebounds yeah. or tap outs or something because I, I, I don't go to the glass. Like I, when the shot goes up, I start working my way back. Like that is my my job. The, on the day we're recording this, you have played, knock on wood, do we have wood around here anywhere? You have played and started in all 69 games this year. So you've played in 69 games and have six offensive rebounds. I I would like to say I am not the guy. We've talked about this before, how there's no one in the NBA I could guard. I am not the type of guy. To, Do you think you could get more than six? I think if you put me out on a basketball court. With your sole purpose? The, not even if it was my sole purpose. I just think the ball would find me six times. So in this stat, the, this was a couple days ago. So this isn't accounting for your last game, I don't think. But well, I don't think I had any in my last you, game. You so. didn't. I made sure to check. <laughs> okay. But at, at this point, it said the Heat have missed 1,900 shots with Duncan on the floor, which means 0.003% of them came to you. So what I'm saying is- Yeah, I those think are bad just, returns. Just by like random error, that many balls are going to fall into your hands is what I'm saying. So you're saying I'm unlucky. Well- or what are now, you saying? Now you're get, you're telling me you're the fullback, so maybe you're not even in the mix. I'm not even in the mix. That's 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 kind of my point. Is that like, I'm yeah, I'm I'm not even I'm not even in that space. You know, like I, I'm I'm legitimately already working my way back. So here's a question for you: If you weren't that guy, 
if your job was to crash the offensive what rebound, what my numbers look yeah, like? Yeah, it goes from what six to I mean, pretty. Eight? They would still be pretty pedestrian. They they certainly wouldn't be anything to write home about. I think they go f- more than two. That's underselling me. I think if I if I actually made a concerted effort, and once again, I want to remind people, I don't I don't not make a concerted effort because I'm lazy or this that. I don't do it because that's not what I'm supposed to do. Got to know your role. That's not my job. Yes. You know the same way. Uh, somebody shows up to work to to you know an accountant shows up to balance yeah. a spreadsheet. Right, they're not sales. that's their job. Right, correct. They're not going out on the streets. Hey, leave the corporate analogies to me. I'm yeah, me. exactly. I'm a little in over my head Qu- there. A uh, quick shout out, also just real quick, because uh, you're not going to give me a real answer on that last question. So if we're shouting out the five guys who are in the bottom five, yeah, who's my company? Well, so JJ. Oh, love JJ that. has nine. So he's maybe actually, it's a podcast thing. He's second lowest. So you're lowest at six. JJ's at nine. So I need three in the last three games, right? To get past JJ. Okay, correct. That's honestly reachable. Just wanted to put that on. Your I honestly radar. might. I I honestly might do it. Why don't you walk into the office today or tomorrow? You say, "Hey, Spo, here's the thing." But here's the deal. Why like, don't we, we give Kendrick the fullback responsibility? But here, so, so it's first of all, it's Kendrick and myself in that in that first unit. We both are. Yeah, so you're not. I mean, you're not a better option than Jimmy, Trevor. Exactly. That, that's my point. But for example, these upcoming games, Philly is really dynamic in transition with with right, Ben right. Simmons, and of course Giannis, a huge part of their game is transition. So maybe we. So get having me back there is yeah, important. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Maybe we, maybe we see. Maybe we make a deal with like Trevor. He's like, hey, why don't you get back? You can guard Giannis in transition. I'll try to get more offensive rebounds. You know what, Dave? I'm just going to keep showing up every day to work and just trying to do my job to the best of my ability. Okay. You know, whatever. I'm a whatever's asked of me type of guy. All right. um, and I, I plan on continuing to be in that. But I, I will say, I appreciate the change of pace on the record. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. it was a nice curveball. Yeah. I, I Truthfully, I, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I got berated last time I tried to give you some flowers. So I learned my lesson. Yeah. Uh, next thing I wanted to ask you about is, did you hear the Bill Burr podcast this week? I, I did because you shared it with me, um, which, you know, I've, I've had some pretty cool moments in terms of like being acknowledged and, and ones that like you know, are kind of like surreal in a sense. I'm a huge Bill Burr fan. I think he's absolutely hilarious, obviously from the, the Boston area uh, and is, in my opinion, one of the, the best uh, you know, comedians out. And just the longevity, first of all. Oh, yeah. He's been doing it for forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he he could talk about legitimately anything, and I think it would be hilarious. I will say, I'll throw this out there as a little caveat. Like anything, like any sort of you know comedic art form, there's a line there that he, that he learns to walk. I mean, between like yeah. what's funny and maybe what's crossing the line. But I think part of being a really good comedian is like knowing where to be. And on top of that, that's not to say that he hasn't crossed the line at times. It's kind of a shtick. Yeah, I mean, I also think that comedy in particular as an art form deserves a little bit more leeway. Of course, yeah. Just in general. Agree. Um, not saying that they can just go out and say whatever they want, but I, I do think there, there there is a little bit more. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. We're all over the place. Um, yeah, Bill Burr gave me a little shout out. He's a Celtics fan. So after Sunday's game, he gave me a little shout out on his pod. And uh, that was pretty cool. What did he say? He said, uh, also, I like how I asked if you'd heard this. Yeah, I mean, you, we had already talked about it, so I, you, knew, uh, yeah, yeah. you knew that I had heard I it. I was just kind of, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's part of the shtick. It's kind of what we're doing. But what did he say? He said, uh, it's. It, he was talking about how the level of talent in the NBA is just so high that a guy like you, who shoots it at the level you do, I think he said borderline Larry Bird or something like that. Yeah. I think he meant from a shooting standpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. I mean, it, it brings up an interesting generational argument that I don't know if we need to fully unpack right now. Whoa. Uh, but I think we can maybe touch on a little bit if, yeah. if you're willing uh, or wanting to. But like, I think his general point is that the overall talent in the NBA in terms of like just, you know, I think his point was I'm not like necessarily a household name. Yet I have an ability that if you were in the eighties, you would have been on a cereal box, I believe is what he said. That was the quote. And I don't, once again, I don't think that That I'm not comparing myself to obviously Larry Bird is like, I have him in my, my like top five damn near of, of all time. Um, I think it was just more so him acknowledging like how far 
the league has come from a talent perspective. And that's not to say that those guys in the 80s weren't incredible because they were. It's just like it's impossible to compare generations like that. Right. Agreed. Do you have a do you want to get into that? I, I actually don't really. Just because it's such a it's it's a slippery slope. It's a it's a tricky conversation to have uh, unless you're really gonna dive into it. And the game has changed so much. Yeah, that that's kind of like the baseline that I think everybody needs to like wrap their mind around is like there should just be a general appreciation for both. Like if you're gonna sit and compare like a role player in the '80s to a role player now, it's like okay, well, role players in the '80s were asked to do totally different things and like what was needed and and looked for in front offices or, you know, for GMs or coaches just looks totally different. And not to mention today's resources and access and all these things that these, these kids have growing up nowadays looks totally different. I mean, I even look at something as simple as like, I look at what shoes those guys used to play in. Like they're, they're balling in Chuck T's. Like I wear Chuck T's on a, on a, on a Friday night and my feet are sore by the end of it. It's a, it's ridiculous. Like, and and they're going out playing 82 games in, in Chuck Taylor's and dropping triple doubles. It's like, it's ridiculous. Well, now you need guys who can defend and shoot corner threes. Back then you needed guys who could like get into a fight if you needed them to. Right. It sounds like you're trying to beat around the bush of saying players today are just way more skilled, which I think is true. Well, I think it's, I, I actually don't think it's just skill. I think it's like athleticism. I think, I think the talent, I think there's actually no denying that the general talent in the NBA is at an all time high. Right. Like the, the, the things that guys in the NBA, and this is a, a generality, like speaking, you know, all encompassing the things that guys in the NBA are able to do across the board, it's just levels higher right. than what was capable. And that's not to say that guys were not incredible and the, the numbers that they put up weren't incredible. Like I, I'm not here for the, you know, Michael Jordan played against plumbers argument. I don't agree with that. That's not what I'm yeah. saying either. Right. Those guys are still world-class athletes in their own respects, but I just think it's different. Yes. You've got fives now yeah. shooting threes and taking guys off the dribble. And I think it's funny too when people would like, People defending the Michael Jordan playing against plumbers would use, okay, well, this is LeBron's competition. It'd be like a picture of myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, or, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, this is who LeBron had to beat to get a ring. Um, that's, that's a humbling yeah. meme. Yeah, yeah. You know, just, you know, casually scrolling through social media, uh, you know, in, in the off season and coming across that one. That's a fun one. <laughs> just you trying to take a charge on LeBron just like yeah. in the fetal position on the floor. Yeah, it's like, all right, Michael Jordan played plumbers. Well, LeBron played Duncan Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> no, going back to Bill Burr, you're borderline Larry Bird good. <laughs> that seems, yeah, aggressively strong. I mean, that, he's a comedian. He, he makes a profession off of hyperbole. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's fair. That's like kind of his his lane. Um, but anyways, I'm a huge Bill Burr fan. So, Bill, if you somehow come across <laughs> this uh, and want to leave me tickets to a show at some yeah. point, I, I would really appreciate it. Or come that. on the pod. Or come on the pod. Yeah. Uh, you'd be a, a very, very welcome guest. He did. He said he if you played in the 80s, you'd be on a cereal box, which I think is great. What cereal box are you going on? Well, I think the the angle there was the Wheaties. Right, that's the easy answer. But I'm I'm just were asking, guys getting put on other cereal boxes besides I'm just the Wheaties? Asking you if you had your preference. I mean, my my '80s pop culture probably isn't where it needs to be, but I I would. What about today? If you're going on a cereal box, uh, Honey Bunches of Oats. Whoa! Yeah, shout out Honey Bunches. The of oats. the versatility between it can kind of be like a, a dessert style cereal, but also like you can justify it a little bit as like somewhat yeah. healthy. Yeah. Um, I think is, is the separator, but the staple, the be all end all will always be original special K. Oh, okay. um, Classic. yeah. For those of you maybe keeping score at home, I'm a special K guy through and through. I think it is the, uh, the hidden gem, the overlooked, you know, whatever you want to call it of cereals. It'll, it'll legitimately never go out of style. Not to bring up Chuck T's again, but it's like the Chuck T of cereals. Like Chuck T's will always be relevant, fashionable, whatever you want to say. I will always be able to eat special case cereal. That's beautiful. Yeah. Really. I'm more of a fruit and yogurt guy myself. Yeah. I mean, why, also, why mess with it? Why try to turn a great thing into, you know, you know what I mean? Like it's already great. Like it doesn't need, fair. it doesn't need the, you know, additional whatever. All right. Frivolous. Anyways. Keep throwing out some vocabulary. Yeah. Quick, uh, another tangent for the listeners, because we've just been doing this all episode. Speaking of Special K, if you were to go into Duncan's 
kitchen right now. Yeah. Well, it, the 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 stockpiles dwindled, but I think at one point there were probably what eighty boxes of Special K. Honestly, that that actually might be Low. underselling it. Yeah. So back in the fall. I did like a 10 questions thing and somebody asked me what my favorite snack was. Um, and it's, it's always been special K and somebody at special K got a hold of that general mills or, or whoever does their stuff. Yeah. Um, and about two weeks later, I legitimately probably had a hundred boxes of special K. You're right. It, it might like more special K than anybody knew what to do with to the point where if I ever had like a friend come over or, or whatever, I would just give them a box a special K on the way out. Special K was it was like a party. Yeah, it was like yeah. a party favor. Yeah, um, and you were forcing it for to people. Yeah, no, so, no, I don't need it. No, like please take five yeah. boxes. Uh, anyways, what else do we got, Dave? You're kind of you're kind of setting the tempo here. So, no, what are we transitioning? I don't to? know anything else you want to talk about. We keep going on tangents. I kind of like it. No, I I, I pretty much we're done. Yeah, it yeah. feels like we've kind of well. Let's go to a somewhat of a somber is not the right word. Uh, I don't know where this is going. Well, we're approaching the playoffs. Oh, yes. Which is sort of like, you know, zero dark 30 lock-in time. So yeah. it, what does that mean for the for the pod? Well, yeah, we, we did want to address this. The pod will be going on a brief hiatus. Yes. Basically, uh, this will be our, we believe it to be, our last episode before the playoffs. We might do a very brief kind of little like playoff uh, preview, if you will, um, just the two of us next week. But I, I think this will be like the last kind of major episode that we have. Um, like I said, I'm going to shut it down for the playoffs, obviously lock in at, uh, you know, my day job, if yes. you will, um, at the task at hand and, and really focus in, uh, you know, so for all those people commenting, you know, let's get in the gym a little more and podcast a little <laughs> less. I guess you're finally getting your wish. I think that's like a no, ridiculous. No, 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 no. I, Don't give them that. Yeah, it's honestly, I, I was going to say like, that's a ridiculous comment in and of itself. It's like the amount of time and energy I put towards my basketball relative to the tiny amount that goes into right. this podcast. Right. Um, you know, I think JJ actually said it great. Like the same way guys play video games or, you know, watch Netflix or HBO or whatever, or watch movies or do whatever they do, whatever extracurriculars professional athletes may do this just happens to be mine for right. whatever it is an hour a week um yeah. or so but uh but yeah regardless i think i think for a variety of reasons uh it just makes sense to kind of shut it down and, and just lock in obviously we have a chance to uh to make a run i believe so uh it just makes sense and you're going to be in a series now which is just great Yes. We don't have to worry about the play-in. Yeah. So yeah, no, it just no gives problem. you a chance to lock in. Yeah. So that's that needed to be addressed. I appreciate you bringing that up. I think we have a uh, a Reddit question of the week, do we? Or we was, do. was there anything else you wanted to talk about? I mean, we I wouldn't have hated a few more tangents, but we've been going for a while, so All maybe right. we maybe we. I got a tangent for you, real quick. Let's do it. Come on. Davis and I were talking about this earlier. Oh. And you know, I, I love the Northeast. Grew up there. I love the Midwest. Spent a lot of time there as well. Spent Good. my college years uh, between those two places. And I love seasons. I really do. Yeah. Um, I, I have a general appreciation for spring, fall, beautiful foliage in the Northeast. <laughs> I think the number one most underrated, talking about long shots here, okay. aspect of living in Miami is that you never get chapped lips. I wow. took I took a long weekend trip to Boston, obviously this past weekend, and by day two, and it's granted it's nice weather. It's not even like frigid up there, you know. It's like fifty five ish. It's like still pretty nice, but having to adjust from like the humidity down here, my skin just dries out, and my lips are just like chapped. Now we fly in last night. When I get on the plane in Boston, my lips are like kind of chapped. We land. By the time I wake up this morning, no more chapped lips. You're back to just a well-oiled machine. Yeah, and it's just it's just the humidity. Now, a lot of people look at humidity and say, oh, it's so terrible. My hair is frizzy. I feel like I'm always sweating. I feel, you know, all this stuff. All true. All somewhat true. No, true. But don't take for granted that you will never get chapped lips in Miami. Maybe not never, but very rarely are you going to get chapped lips living in Miami. And for me, that's just a huge plus. You don't really sweat just like throughout your day. 
I'm a sweat. This I'm feels sweat. like this is going to a weird place. I just <laughs> you, wanted to acknowledge. Hey, you brought up a tangent, buddy. Now we're here. I sweat. So for all my sweaters out there, okay, I can't do. My, that's why Miami, especially right now, like it's it's 84 degrees right now, which we're dressed like it's winter, by the way. But that's because you keep your apartment at like 65 like degrees. Yeah, I like a chilly. Uh, it. I just sweat. Like yesterday, I walked to go get lunch. I went to Target afterwards, and by the time I get home, I'm I'm just sweating. It's like, oh, I need a new shirt now, which is so. No chapped lips is great, sure, but I don't know huge, if that's hugely underrated. A, I don't think that's enough of a benefit. Chapped lips is a major nuisance. And the other thing about chapped lips, chapstick doesn't actually work. There's oh, like no, two. No, no. There's like two brands of chapstick that actually they cure put the chapped shards lips. of glass. In yeah, it actually cut you up. All all that's chapstick does is just make your lips need more chapstick. Yeah, it's it, it's all it does. The right There's only like two or three brands that actually like cure yeah. chapped lips. I'm not shouting them out. They're gonna have to pay. For yeah, them. yeah. No free promos on this podcast. Right. All right, look, let's no, move forward. We, we've that's done fair. about we've done about we've dedicated five minutes to chapped lips. So I just think it's absurd there. that we're putting non-chapped lips as a higher importance than just not sweating. Like to me, that's so I'm just saying it's important. an underrated aspect of living in Miami. That's all. Take it at face value. I also want to point out. Clearly, there are, there are things that have been left on the cutting board throughout the first 18 episodes that now, as we're on the brink of going on this yeah, hiatus, yeah, yeah. Get it we all feel out. that we need to talk <laughs> about. So out. that's why this conversation has gone in this kind of convoluted, strange direction. Yeah. Okay, but, fine. Fair yeah. enough. Okay, we will actually get to our Reddit question of the week now. All right, what do we got? This is actually, it's not from Reddit, so maybe it's wrong to call it the Reddit question of the week. It's just, just Maybe just the question of the week, yeah. yeah. This comes from Twitter, actually. Okay. Fan submitted on Twitter. Uh, shout out to Bernie Nation. They Bernie. asked about that pre-draft workout you had with Miami. Okay. So the legend is that... Not a legend, but go ahead. It okay. isn't a legend. The story is... The story goes. Fine. Go ahead. The story is that Chet... Uh, camera camera correct coach called spo after your workout said it was one of the best shooting exhibitions he's ever seen the quote i believe is i don't know if he's good enough i don't know if he'll develop but as far as shooting that part is really unique he has a great work ethic he's also six eight so i assume spo gets that phone call and he's like okay yeah that's appealing but what do you remember about that workout? sure i'll paint a picture do it please um, so I, I finished up my time at, at the university of Michigan. Go blue. Uh, yeah, go blue of course. And I went out to do my pre-draft in Los Angeles. It's where my agency is based out of. Honestly, at that point I was kind of on the fringe between signing with like a, an agent that had MBA guys and an overseas agent. I was kind of back and forth and actually my, my mother shout out her now getting her second shout out uh, on this episode. She was like, what are we talking about? This isn't even a decision here. Like we're, we're betting on yourself and doubling down as, as my guy advice. Philly cheese would say, or for event fleet, either one. Um, so I decided to, to sign with, with my agent, Jason Glushon, uh, who's once again, I, since we're doing shout outs, shout out to him. That's his second shout out. Uh, but yeah. So I was out in LA, Carson city actually is where I was training at Exos and um, I, I was kind of just doing my thing. I was training at Exos, lifting, conditioning, and then there's like a little facility right there nearby working out with a guy by the name of AJ Diggs, uh, who's really, really good at what he does. Third uh, shout out. Yeah, has has worked has worked in the NBA um, and does a lot of you know player development stuff uh, and, and is just really, really good at challenging, pushing people's skill development, all that stuff. So I, I basically kind of had this routine and as like the, the team workouts were gearing up, I was in a situation where both my agent and I just agreed, like, let's just take every workout possible, right? Like, because it, it was part of, you know, there's a blessing and a curse of playing at a, at a place like Michigan, overwhelmingly a blessing, overwhelmingly. But when you're playing at like a big university like that, you're playing on national television a lot, you're getting viewed a lot. And I think that a lot of scouts, a lot of front offices kind of felt that they already kind of had an understanding of what I was. Right, like, oh, we've seen Duncan. We know what Duncan is. He could shoot. He's six eight. He's got some intriguing, you know, components to his game. But you know, insert all the negatives. Which what were they? Let's rattle them. Oh, no, this gosh. will be fun. 
Um, I mean, I averaged like eight points a game. Yep, mental uh, midget. Yeah, uh, yeah, mental midget. Uh, you know, can't move laterally. Can't move laterally at all. Does he have a position? Can he guard anybody? No, yeah, uh, can't read. Yeah, all that stuff. Um, <laughs> so anyways, with, at, at, with that being said, it was very clear that we were going to take every workout possible. So actually, my first workout was not one where I was traveling, but it was Chet Cameras based in L.A., and he works for the Heat, like a leg- legendary Heat front office scout. Um, I think he's the head of player personnel. I'm not sure of his exactly title, but he's he's very very high up there and very well respected and trusted, and had an incredible track record. So he's like he lives like 15 minutes away from where I'm working out every day. So it basically I don't think it was like a favor, but it was basically like look. You have a scout that lives 15 minutes away. I think that he'd had some like general interest. You know, they they probably knew I wasn't going to get drafted. They liked developing undrafted guys or um, at least kind of evaluating them. So it was like kind of like a no brainer. Like drive 15 minutes, maybe sit in some LA traffic and watch this guy work out. Now it was unique because most NBA workouts are in a group. You know, you're one of six guys. You play three on three. You do all this stuff. But it was it was going to be just me working out with our trainer AJ and. Uh, as a result, you know, you see a lot of these this stuff on on like YouTube or whatever, like pro days, right? Where it's like clutch pro day and these guys are, you know, they shoot jump, they shoot spots, they shoot jumpers, they do some like crazy dunks and it's like, all right, what are you actually really going to be able to take away from a one-on-one workout where guys are just doing everything within their strengths? Okay, you can maybe like get a little bit better read on their form or do this or that or like see how explosive of an athlete they are in person, all this stuff. The best, just real quick, the best example of that is Zach Levine. It is absurd. But <laughs> the thing is that a lot of times like that will actually move the needle. I mean, that guy's going between the legs yeah. and the free throw line. Joel Embiid has another crazy one. He's working out in that tiny gym in, in Santa Monica. Um, and it just looks like he's on a Fisher price. Hoop. Yeah. Right. And it's like, right. how is this guy not going to be a top three yeah. pick? Are you saying, but for you though, it's probably not the same. Well, certainly not the same effect, but additionally, like I can't, if I just like show up and do that, it's not really, there's nothing like really impressive about like, you know what I mean? Like nothing's going to get like really taken away. So we had discussed uh, AJ and myself and my agent, like, no, like AJ's basically going to kill you in this workout. Like you're going to, like I was running the Celtic drill, which is like three minutes. So I ran the Celtic drill to start. I ran the Celtic drill halfway through my workout. And then I ran the Celtic drill again at the end of my workout. Can you break down what that drill is? It's just three minutes, uh, full length of the court, as many touches as you can get in three minutes. Um, which is brutal. I mean, it's just sprinting for three minutes straight, but the whole thing was like, we're going to show this guy, one, that you're working your ass off. Two, that you're not just like a catch and shoot guy. Because, you know, and then once we got to the actual shooting, I was like running off of stuff and sprinting. And, and there were other guys there. So like, you know, guys were quote unquote guarding me. Um, but, you know, just like more like game shots, sprinting, after conditioning, shooting spots. So not just like shooting spots fresh. And then the interesting part was like uh, Aaron Holiday was actually working out with AJ as well. And he actually had him come in and like, I was like guarding him full court, which is, <laughs> you know, not, once again, not exactly my strength, but it was more so just to show like, he's getting after. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, How'd that go? By the way, you not me. great. Yeah, right. You know, I like was able to turn him a couple times, but yeah. like, I, I think that's kind of all anyone would really expect. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so I ended up shooting, I shot the ball well. Um, and you know, of course, like also people forget I'm, I'm like six, eight. So like, especially early on in the workout, there were kind of some moments where, you know, like rip through dunk or like reverse dunk or like do some different stuff. And Which it's like, you oh. have in your bag. Yeah. It's like, people are like, Oh damn, he is six, eight. Like that, that looks pretty easy. Um, granted, I know I don't do that on a night to night basis, but anyways, it was just a way to be evaluated in a different light. And I think it also helps people or at least Chad in this case, see, there's like levels to shooting. You know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah, this guy can shoot. Well, this guy can shoot too. But then there's like, of course, being able to do it at like an elite high, high level. And that was really the purpose of that is to show that like, I'm not just, or try to show, I'm not just a guy that can shoot, but like, I have like a very, very distinguishable skill of like, 
you know, there's only there's only a handful of guys in the NBA that run off of screens and, and do crazy stuff. There are guys in the NBA that can really shoot, but there you have to be able to sort of fit like fit to a certain bill of like being able to really create overreactions, really fly off of stuff, shoot on the move, off balance, all that stuff. So it was kind of a it was a way to kind of show that because at Michigan I was very much just kind of like floor spacer, um, you know, catch and shoot. The occasional play was kind of run for me to get an open one. Um, but anyways, yeah, so I I made some shots. I, I felt like it went really well. It was my first one um, for, you know, in front of an NBA team. And at that point, I think they had decided like, wow, he's, he's at least worthy of like taking a closer look. And then from there, it kind of materialized into a uh, summer league invitation. But I will say, you know, his conversation with Spo, I, I give Spo a ton of credit and the Heat a ton of credit. They were the only team to call me prior to the draft. Um, Spo, sorry, was the only head coach to call me prior to the draft and just say like, hey, um, you know, we're really interested. We don't have a pick. But, you know, if you're around uh, for, for summer league uh, as an undrafted free agent, you know, we'd love to have you at least play with us for summer league. And, and that was kind of all I needed to hear. I, I felt like that was a sign that, uh, you know, they, they had some interest and, you know, guys have had gone to Miami and, and been successful, tall guys that can shoot and space the floor. Um, so I felt like I kind of had a mold to fit into as well. How many workouts did you end up doing that summer? Cause that was your first oh, one. Yeah. So I, I ended up doing like 14 in like for 14 different teams. 14, well, I did a couple teams twice just because like, like I said, I was willing to take any yeah. and every invitation. Yeah. Um, so like if a guy dropped out, and it was like, yeah, you're in LA, but like we need you in Boston tomorrow because so and so dropped out. I was like, I'm getting on a plane to Boston. Like it was gonna be, no matter what, I was gonna do all my workouts and and just try to be seen in a different light. And uh, you know that that's an interesting time. Obviously, there's there's a whole group of guys that are right on the cusp of going through it, but uh, it's it's a challenging time for sure. It's it's high stress, high anxiety, especially as an undrafted guy um, or a guy that's like on the fringe of maybe hopefully getting drafted um there's a lot of like kind of nerves and anxiety that goes into that because you're just you're on the cusp of realizing your dream um but for me it was it was a whirlwind because it was just like look we got to take every opportunity that we can get um you know whereas like lottery picks and stuff they pick and choose it's like i don't want to work out there you know they only have the 16th pick like i'm not trying to do that or like the other side of it is agents will be like yeah we don't we just want him to have an individual like we don't want him going up against any guys because that's what teams will do they'll bring in multiple guys and pivot them or position them up against each other you know if they have like a late second round pick it's like we're interested in like these two guys let's get them in for a workout let's see who like comes out on top uh so it can be very like cutthroat in that nature but to be honest with you i i enjoyed it and and i think that i got better returns um, just generally because I think I was able to kind of showcase something that a lot of teams didn't necessarily see uh, during my time at Michigan. And, uh, you know, but also like with that being said, the frustrating side of that is it's only one form of evaluation. Whereas like I could show up to a workout and, you know, I, truthfully, like I felt like there were workouts where I really outplayed guys. But then on draft night, those guys' names got called and mine didn't. Yeah. Um, but once again, it kind of always comes back to, just, you know, focus on what you control and, and run in your own race. Last question. How many, so you do 14 workouts over how many days? You're really, yeah, it's, a, it's a tight window. I mean, it's like 14 workouts. I think in like, I think I did two places twice. So I think it was like 14 workouts in 12 different cities over 25, 30 days. It's insane. Yeah. So like you're doing back to backs. Like there were a couple of back to backs for sure mixed in there where like you show up. You usually show up the night before. So like you show up the night before, say for example, in Memphis, um, you show up on a Friday night, you work out Saturday morning, you do all your interview stuff, you go through all the physical testing, all that stuff. Then you get on a bus, go right to the, like a little like whatever, uh, sprinter van or whatever, go right to the airport with all the other guys. And then you go to the next city and you get in there and then you wake up the next morning and literally basically do the same thing over and over. Um, but the challenge is like, each each opportunity is like an entirely blank sheet it's that's like the challenge but yeah. also kind of like the beauty is like if you have a bad workout it's like all right like wipe it clean like all right we're probably not going to i'm just naming a random place but like probably not going to oklahoma city like yeah. i just got torched by i don't know like theo pinson 
Did you have yeah, yeah. You had some of those? <laughs> in OKC, like he was killing. So that wasn't just a random example. I mean, yeah, it was like kind of drawn from memory. Um, but it's just like funny, you know, because and it was also like you see the same cast of characters, right? Because they try to keep, you know, the team has like a first round pick. They're evaluating all those guys for that pick. But I was very much in like the late second round undrafted camp. So like I would see the same guys at all the different workouts. Um and it was just, it was funny, you know, like Theo Pinson, Lonzo Trier, uh, who else? Um, like Trevon Blewett, like guys that I would like play against in college yeah. and knew really well. And like, we would just kind of see each other at all the different stops. It was funny. Did you, so when it, when that's all over, when the whirlwind's done, draft night's coming up, you don't get drafted. You get that call from Spo beforehand. Yeah. Did you have other summer league options that you strongly considered or was it sort of Miami through and through? Oh, yeah, there were other options for sure. Actually, I, I wanted to go to a, a different situation, um, and it was a combination. Or I, th- I thought I wanted to. You I know? remember. Yeah, I, I thought I wanted to, and obviously it turned out to be like the ultimate blessing that I didn't. It was a variety of reasons, but like I, once again, it's, it's my agent is, is awesome in that like it's always my decision, but like he was always going to put in his advice. That's that's why he is who he is and why he gets paid what he does, whatever. Um, so he had recommended Miami for a variety of reasons, and you know I, I couldn't, I didn't like fully understand why at the time, but I really liked Miami. But there were also other enticing options, and uh, we ultimately just as a as a uh, group, you know, with my family and everybody, just felt that Miami was the best fit. That other place would have been interesting. Yeah. Just to see how that all played. I mean, I think this is like relatively public information. It was like, it was Miami, LA, Lakers, uh, Milwaukee was kind of in there. Um, So yeah, it was, it was basically those three. But I remember it was Miami or LA. Kind of. Like it kind of got to that point. Yeah. So anyways. But I mean like who, it's easy for me for like someone to turn around and say like, oh, imagine you on the Lakers now. It's like, all right, well so many things like who knows if I even check into the game in summer league on on that team, you know, like they had just drafted Svi Makai Luke. Um, yeah, by the way, that team was not the LeBron that was, it looks totally different right now. Yeah. They've had so much turnover since then. And like, it it basically came down to like, they had just drafted Svi Makai Luke in the second round, I think 47. And I don't think I know it's 47. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and like, I thought, I had had a really good workout with them, and I thought that I could be in play for that pick. And I found out, like right at the start of the second round, that I wasn't. I was like, all right, whatever. But then for them to turn around and take a six-eight guy right. who can shoot, right. it was like, okay, well, they're clearly going in that direction. And then, like, even if I were to latch on there, this is just the reality of professional sports. Um, like, he's going to get every opportunity before I would. That's just how it goes. Yeah. The, the second round pick. You drafted the guy, you better invest in him versus the undrafted guy you just picked up off the street. Um, but yeah, so it, it, that's just kind of how it plays out. That's why it ultimately ended up being, you know, Miami didn't have a pick. So it like, it made sense from that standpoint of like, they don't have a pick. Their summer league is going to be heavily featured Bam, heavily featured Derek Jones, Derek Walton. Um, and then I would just kind of like fit in around those guys, which ended up working out pretty well. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, wow. That was a... Uh, that was a long... That was fun. Yeah, yeah. We we, we touched a lot of bases there. Um, let's do the long shot feature. Yeah. Drew Robinson. Great last name. That's what I was going to say. Great last name. Uh, Drew lost his eye in a suicide attempt about 13 months ago. Yeah. And this past week, uh, he hit his first hit, had his first hit and his first home run uh, playing AAA baseball. Um I've seen the clips. I mean, it's kind of like a pretty well-covered and documented story, but felt like Drew is certainly worthy of a shout-out. Um, just, I mean, that's a that's a crazy juxtaposition from, from month one to month 13. Insane. Um, yeah, this one was recommended to us by a few different people. Um, so thank you to all of you that, that recommended it to us. There's an amazing ESPN article about just the whole – yeah. situation and everything that led up to it and what was going on in Drew's life written by Jeff uh, Passan. I think I'm saying that right. Sure. Um, but it's, but it's, it's, it's really, really good. So I encourage you guys to, to go read that. I just quickly want to say there's a piece from that article um, 
that I wanted to read. It's a quote from Drew. He says, I never will hold back from asking or telling someone, even if it's something simple, hey, this little thing's annoying me today. Just tell them. They want to hear it. People that love you want to hear it. And if you don't have people that love you, therapists want to hear it. People want to help you. Professionals want to help you. So many people in this world are willing to help anyone going through these things. It might be a specific situation that makes it feel like you're alone, but you're never alone. I just think that's really powerful. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, I think it, it certainly contributes to the ongoing conversation that I think is really starting to be had now in professional sports around mental health. Um, I think that there have been a handful of, of really pioneers. Um, I can speak to them in in the NBA just because that's kind of the, the league that I'm familiar with. But it, it stretches across a variety of uh, of of leagues and it's it's i think like you said i mean it's what's important is to break down this this stigma and uh you know wrestle with this idea that like talking about your mental health is like somehow taboo like it's it's obviously not and you know i think that mental health gets separated from physical health when in reality like it should just be about general health um 100% which is actually an interesting segue this this hat uh soho youth club is um, doing some cool things in Ann Arbor. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Mahmoud Issa, is uh, is doing some pretty special stuff with the Soho Youth Club, uh, which is exactly that. It's basically uh, they're helping out underprivileged youth um, and kind of working to to combat these stereotypes and, and stigmas that come with, particularly mental health, uh, and you know helping uplift. Uh, youth in that that greater Detroit area. Love it. Shout out Soho Youth Club. That's yeah. our fourth shout out of the yeah. episode. Uh, we just turned out to turn into a shout out podcast. Crushing but. it. Anybody else you want to shout out while we have the floor? No, I got nothing. We're done. We, yeah, yeah, we're, we're done. out. All we'll right, wrap it up. Um, all right. So that pretty much does it for the first stint of the Long Shot Podcast. Yeah, God. Um, what a what a run it's been. Yeah, it's been a fun run. It's not over. We're not going anywhere. It's just distance makes the heart grow fonder. We're yeah. going to take a couple weeks. Yeah. Get away from your guys' ears. Yes. Or eyes. Yeah, eyes and ears. But we'll be um, back with a vengeance. We will be back. Yeah. And with that, that's uh, that's that's the Long Shot signing off. Yeah.